It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and happy Monday to all of you. Wishing you a great day and a great week. Uh, We've got a great show planned for you today. We're going to be going through some headlines. My gosh, uh, Steve, we always have plenty to talk about and it's almost where do we choose? What are we going to talk about? And Patty does such a great job on on all of this great research. And uh, to that, thank you, Producer Steve and the team, Zach, Patty, uh, Keith, and Charlie. Greatly appreciate all of you keeping this train on the track. <laughs> every, time, every time you talk about the train, I think, well, the train has an engineer, there's a fireman, there's brakeman, there's conductor. <laughs> but you are the engineer. Aha! And uh, it, it is quite the train. This train is... Um, working to bring forth these important issues and dissect them so that you can get your brain around them and so that you can talk with your friends and your family, your colleagues about these important issues. Because, Steve, we are in a battle of ideas, and words matter. And it is so important to get our brain around these issues. And uh, so we'll do headlines, uh, segments one and two. And then Rob Nadelson, you know him. He's a constitutional expert. He's with the Independence Institute. And he's um, a couple of things. He's uh, just done a recent piece. It's what history tells us about the purpose of red flag laws, which I think is going to be super, super interesting. When you see what's going on over in Hong Kong, you see why it's important that everyday people be able to have the right to keep and bear arms when you have an overbearing government like what may be happening uh, in Hong Kong with China. And uh, so that'll be a really interesting conversation. The other thing I want to ask Rob is about these five Democrat senators. Uh, Let's see. Let me tell you which ones they are. Where is that at? Here we go. It is five U.S. senators, Sheldon Whitehouse, Richard Blumenthal, Maisie Hirono, Richard Dermott, and Kirsten Gillibrand, who is also running for president, threaten the Supreme Court that if the justices do not refuse to hear a specific case, And this is regarding the Second Amendment. These senators will uh, basically probably try to gin everything up here in the narrative uh, here in the United States to uh, have the public supposedly push to restructure the court. I find it astonishing that uh, you would have these five senators that would threaten the Supreme Court, Steve. Ever since we put the promo together on Friday for today... I've been thinking about this. Uh, Here's another stellar example. Put it right next to the movement to modify, eliminate the Electoral College. In other words, we don't like the rules the way they are because they don't directly benefit us. But you want to say, time out. The structure, the rules that you're talking about have been with us for hundreds of years, decades. Mm -hmm. And now because they don't directly benefit you or you can't you're you're, you're not getting your way your grubby little hands on the power structure of the country uh, you want to change it in in such diabolical ways 
You know, Steve, it's been a long time in coming, and uh, the question that we recommend that you always look at these issues is freedom versus force or force versus freedom. And socialism ultimately comes down to force, and that is what you see right here. All all, all of these senators uh, are uh, in the socialist camp now, and you can see that if they don't get their way, ultimately they threaten force. And the beauty of the uh, U.S. Constitution, the beauty of the American idea is that we protect every everyday people's rights, their rights to go after their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And, um, excuse me, the, the veil is off. Uh, you know, this this movement has been kind of underground for quite some time. With the election of President Trump, uh, it, it's the, the, uh, the onion has been peeled back, and we see what is really happening here. So we are in the fight of our lives in this battle of ideas for the American idea. And uh, I find it absolutely astonishing that these uh, senators would threaten the Supreme Court. So it'll be interesting to talk with Rob Nadelson about both of these issues in segments three and four. It's already, oh, well, it's com- quickly coming up on a year that we saw this farce, this circus. All the names that you just read off, at least four out of five of them made such fools of themselves in the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, they show the true colors. Yep. So this little trick uh, or threat uh, doesn't doesn't really catch me by surprise. Uh I guess the audaciousness to actually carry through or, or you know, attempt to to carry through with it, I guess that, that does catch me by surprise. It, it, audacious is certainly the word there. And uh, so let's jump into just kind of the, the regular bookkeeping things that I, I love to do every day. And that is also a thank you to the team. But thank you to listeners out there. Uh, I, you, know, you have a purpose, you are treasured, you're valued, so go out and do that today. And speaking of our listeners, we had something really fun that we did on Friday evening. Steve, you and your beautiful wife, and Patty and I were out at 88 Drive-In Theater. We thought we were going to have to really work. And you know what? Susan had her whole team of young people out there that worked the snack bar. When I arrived, they were, were um, working feverishly to get everything ready uh, for the clients as they arrived but it was it was really a fun evening to be out there it was kind of neat to see i mean, i i can't tell you uh decades i guess since i've been to a drive-in but uh to see the inner, inner workings what goes on behind the scenes very cool it was uh and it was really fun and uh so i did not make it through the whole evening because you know you and i get up about three thirty every morning but uh, I saw my, my buddy Carol at Liberty Toastmasters, and she said that she was there, and she made it through all three movies. And uh, I said, well, I, I had gotten up at 3.30, so I didn't, I didn't stay. She said, well, I didn't get home till 3.30 because she watched all, all three movies. And then I saw Katie and her family out there, and uh, so it was really just a, a fun evening. And thank you to Susan Kochevar. She is a valued partner. Uh, of uh, the Americhicks and greatly appreciate that. So uh, today on our inspiration, since we're going to be talking about the court, uh, I went to Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story. And really interesting, he was born in 1779. He was uh, an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court and a founder of Harvard Law School. He was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1811 by the so-called father of our Constitution, President James Madison. Justice Story was the son of one of the Boston Tea Party Indians. And he said, this is his quote, he says, To secure integrity, there must 
there must be a lofty sense of duty and a deep responsibility to future times as well as to God. And I thought that was really interesting in this particular day and age. When we look at the amount of the national debt that we're thinking about passing on to the next generation, when we look in here in Colorado with this movement that's going to try to get rid of Tabor, to try to get rid of uh, the next generation's opportunity to vote on whether or not they get to keep their tax refunds and tax increases and uh, debt that they're going to have to pay off. We need to make sure that we look to the next generation. You know, the patriots, you know, they put blood and treasure on the line so that we could have freedom. About, you know, 70-plus years later in the Civil War, Americans put their lives on the line to answer this question whether or not one man could be property of another. You look at World War I, World War II, where, again, blood and treasure was spilt to stand for freedom, to stand against tyranny. And uh, each generation, as Ronald Reagan says, needs to make sure that they, they fight for freedom because it's not passed down on the bloodline. We each have to do that. And so going back to Justice Story, you know, early, early uh, time in the United States, he says, to secure integrity, there must be a lofty sense of duty and a deep responsibility to future times as well as to God. I love that. Steve, you like that? I do. The significance of people, deep thinkers in our past, who would uh, say things like that that just are timeless. They are timeless. And it's important to remember them. And that's why I, sometimes I like to add in a little piece of history. And so that was Supreme Court Justice uh, Joseph's story. Now, I've got three funnies for you regarding the, the court. Are you ready for this, Steve? You said funnies, so <laughs> our expectations are going to be high. Okay. So... What This was all of these things were said in court. So question, what was the first thing your husband said to you when he woke that morning? He said, where am I, Kathy? And why did that upset you? She said, my name is Susan. (laughs) Next one. Question, is your appearance here this morning pursuant to a deposition notice which I sent to your attorney? The answer, no, this is how I dress when I go to work. No, this is how I always look. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And the last one. Doctor, how many autopsies have you performed on dead people? The answer is all my autopsies are performed on dead people. (laughs) Okay, there you have it. Let's talk about this headline that you mentioned when I came in this morning that was uh, on Fox News. It says that um, President Trump could be in trouble uh, regarding the 2020 election. And one of the reasons is because of the economy. And uh, I, I think that this is the next thing. This is the next Russia collusion. This is the next thing uh, be- because the economy is doing pretty well. And uh, so I, it seems to me like you've got the pundits that are trying to gin this up. I think that the um, mainstream media and the radical left they want to get this economy s- slowed down, and people will hurt if this economy gets slowed down uh, because they feel that that's probably the only way that they can defeat Donald Trump, except for all the cheating they want to do. What do you think, Steve? Three words, seeds of doubt. Uh, let's get this, this thought out there in people's minds that the economy could possibly be in trouble. And I, there were several things last that happened last week that were – kind of conflicting in a sense uh one of them that i thought was 
pretty cool was, I think it was like Wednesday, uh, the president moving around and he's in, in motion and the reporters are shouting questions to him. So sometimes those don't make for the best sound bites. But he rattled off two or three things that the Fed has done. And he said, I don't understand why the Fed is doing that. And the second he said that, I thought, okay, who is the Fed taking their orders from? Mm-hmm. In other words, somebody is putting, you know, the marching orders went out. It's like we've got to do whatever we can do. To, to get make, this economy slowed down. Slow it down or at least put the seeds of doubt in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And several other pleas from notable figures that saying, don't fall for this. They see what it is. They see. They know where it's going, uh, and they see what you know what it what it is that that could potentially happen here if people just take the news at face value and don't think it through. Well, I was talking to a young millennial the other day on Friday. In fact, he said, "Oh my gosh, we're going into a recession, and with the inverted yield curve, you know that that always predicts a." Uh, um, you know, a recession. I think Jason McBride over at Presidential Wealth Management said that that is not necessarily the case. I think we're going to need to ask him that again when we talk to him at the uh, at the half hour. But I found this piece in the Seattle Times really interesting. It said, in blue Seattle, Trump supporters are starting to come out of hiding. When word got out during the last presidential election that Seattle developer Martin Selig would be supporting Donald Trump, the blowback from our liberal town, he said, was stunning. Do you know what it's like being a Jewish Republican in Seattle? (laughs) (laughs) So like told the Seattle Times, the repercussions of what you hear from people is just absolutely stunning. Now, Selig is a billionaire and he retreated from any affiliation with Trump in 2016 and said he wouldn't even vote for him. It had become problematic just getting along in the city by wearing a MAGA hat. But that was then. This spring, Selig went all in for Trump, maxing out to the president's campaign with a donation of $5,600. What's interesting isn't so much that this one local rich guy decided to stop worrying and go full Trump. It's that he's hardly alone. The latest federal election reports show that Trump is doing surprisingly well getting backers in this bluest of blue places. With nearly 15 months to go before the 2020 election, Uh, Trump has already drawn more donations from Seattle uh, addresses than he did during the entire 2016 campaign. In Washington state, where his approval rating is 28 points underwater, Trump has still racked up far more donations, big and small, than any of the Democrat candidates. In fact, more than the top six Democrats combined. And uh, the reporter says, I'm not talking about total dollars raised, though on that front, Trump is a juggernaut, too. But the total number of donations reflects how many people are inspired enough by a candidate to send any amount of money, sometimes repeatedly. So I I find that absolutely fascinating. So your comment, well, let me mention this. He said, you can look through the list and see that just in Seattle, Trump has the support of a seamstress, an airline pilot, a crane operator, a teacher, a nurse, a city of Seattle firefighter, a University of Washington professor, a longshoreman, and about a thousand others. Steve, when we talk about, you know, when you see that headline that Trump is underwater, this has to um, put the far left progressives uh, shake. They have to be shaking in their boots than when they see this desperation. Uh, again, they're they're going to come at him from every conceivable and sometimes unconceivable way out of sheer desperation. 
But yeah. I love that bluest of the blues places. Yeah. The other thing, though, that I find very troubling about this piece, and and that is, you know, with campaign finance laws, you have to you have to you give all your information. This guy actually went out and he um, named names. And I think that there's something really wrong about that. So it was a very subtle way in the bluest of blue Seattle to name people uh, who have uh, donated to Trump. And I think that there's something uh, really disingenuous. I think there's something almost deceitful about doing that. But uh, I'm very encouraged with what is happening there in Seattle. And uh, I think that we're probably seeing that across the United States and that is why you're seeing all these headlines to try to get this hot, hot economy slowed down. So we're going to go to break. Uh, in, just any final thoughts on that, Steve, before we go to break? Oh, just the, sec- the, the Fox News thing uh, that we just now discussed is broken down into two parts. The one was the economy. The other was the fact that, oh, well, the polls show he's losing to the top four Democrats. Okay, same old game. We've been playing with polls for years. Where was the poll taken besides, you know, Manhattan? Uh, your, your polls are meaningless. They really are. I, and I wish you'd just stop this whole but nonsense. They're, but they're useful when they're trying to push that narrative. Well, and uh, But when you look at this poll in Seattle, everyday people stepping up and contributing to the, the Trump campaign, it's going to get real interesting for sure. Another word for poll is smokescreen. <laughs> there you go. Hey, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to go through some more headlines. I uh, can't wait to talk to Jason McBride, Presidential Wealth Management. Got a couple of questions that i like to have him answer. And then we'll talk with Rob Nadelson in segments three and four regarding this interesting piece that he's done on uh, red flag laws, as well as I just got to ask him about these senators that are threatening the Supreme Court. We'll be right back. Looking for an awesome place to host your draft party? Look no further than Hooters. With tons of TVs, free Wi-Fi, world-famous wings, and ice-cold beer, you're probably thinking, it doesn't get any better than that. But wait, at Hooters, it does. Every Fantasy League gets a free draft kit and over $200 in Hooters swag. Join us for fantasy football done Hooter style. Book now at Hooters.com slash football. That's Hooters.com slash football. See you at Hooters. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ameritics with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Uh, Let's run through some of these headlines here. I am very encouraged that uh, the battle over Tom's Diner uh, in Denver falls in favor of the demolition. There was a group that was seeking historic preservation status for Tom's Diner over the wishes of the owner. But they have withdrawn that application with the city. 
Uh, and the city's uh, certificate of non-historic status, however, is valid for five years, meaning Tom's Diner could be demolished during this time. Um, Tom's uh, told Colorado Politics he has had to deal to sell the building and property for has a deal for $4.8 million to a developer who wants to use the site for homes, the kind of development this curbside commercial part of downtown Denver hasn't seen. The issue raised questions of preservation and gentrification in the fast-growing cities and whether government can regulate away profitability for property owners to save older neighborhoods. Uh, and this segues into a big concern that I have. I'm working my way through this 300-plus page Blueprint Denver and this is a, a, a plan that's put in place now for uh, basically every neighborhood in Denver. They're going to map every neighborhood in Denver, and they're going to have criteria so that it becomes a quote-unquote inclusive su- uh, city. And one of the main things that they're going to do, or one of the main tools that they're going to use, is rezoning laws. And so I think that this uh, this whole thing with Tom's Diner is is really just a the tip of the iceberg on what we're going to see with um, unelected bureaucrats and and politicians using policy and using rezoning laws to control uh, the the way our neighborhoods look, uh, trying to control what we drive, where we live. And uh, so we need to be pushing back on this. It's a pretty daunting task as we look at this. But I am so excited for Tom's Diner that, in fact, um, you've got this, again, this unelected commission that wants to come in and wants to control what he can do with his with his property because they want to save it, quote unquote, for historical purposes. If, in fact, they think it's that important, they need to go out and uh, raise the money to buy that property. And, of course, Tom should then have the option on whether or not uh, he would sell it to them or to the developer. But this is just kind of, again, the peeling back the onion on what is really going on. I was down – in fact, you know what? I had lunch at uh, Tom Steiner on on Saturday because it was Liberty Toastmasters, and we decided to walk over there and have lunch. And as we walked by just about a block away, there was a huge – uh, development going up of about uh, probably a four-story apartment building just a block from Tom's Diner. And so I'm thinking, how is it that they could get approval for that? But there's all this pressure that Tom couldn't use, couldn't sell his property at a profit. And uh, there's just something that doesn't match up. And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to power, and power ultimately comes down to force, Steve. So that's what happened there. So good for Tom. I'm excited that Tom's Diner, that he's going to be able to um, create wealth by selling a property that he vote he he bought twenty years ago. So good for him. Another thing on Friday, and I wrote an op ed that is uh, on my website americhicks.com. Be sure and sign up for my emails as well. We'll keep you informed of all of the upcoming guests and topics. But the Colorado Air Qual- Colorado's Air Quality Commission voted on Friday to prove the state's adoption of the zero emissions vehicle mandate. Uh, and it was after a three-day hearing. The vote was 8-1 to one in favor of the rule, which, again, this this will be interesting to talk about. The same thing of what we're going to be talking with um, Rob Nadelson about. It's expected to help improve air quality and make auto manufacturers expand electric vehicle choices in the state. Commissioner Tom Gonzalez, who serves as the public health director of Larimer County Department of Health and Environment, voted against the adoption. Good for Tom Gonzalez. Colorado becomes the 10th state to join California's ZEV program and the latest in a decade. 
And after three days of listening to testimony, commission members voted to approve before 9 a.m. on Friday. Now, I went down to testify on Tuesday night uh, on, regarding this. And uh, they uh, had advertised, the Air Quality Control Commission had advertised that they would take public comment from 12 to 3 on Tuesday and from 6 to 8 on Tuesday evening. My schedule was such that I could not get down there before uh, 7.15. When I got there, uh, they'd actually, they were all gone. They had not stayed for to hear any of the uh, public comment that might have come in after a certain period of time. And so I submitted a, um, uh, my uh, comments via email, uh, but actually they had already voted. So I did an op-ed it's on, at americhicks.com regarding what this will do. And this is going to increase the cost of vehicles for that hardworking mom out there, that single mom that, that's working to take care of her family. She'd like the flexibility to have a car that she could move her children about, that she could have different employment options. It's going to increase the cost for that. Also, what about that blue-collar worker out there who has a pickup truck and, uh, you know, needs to get to the job site so that he can work to take care of his family. It's going to increase the cost for that as well. And that is not the proper role of government. Government is to make sure that they are are protecting everyday everyday people's rights to go after their life, their liberty, and their pursuit of happiness instead of standing in the way and trying to make things more expensive and push people into the way they think they should live their lives. And uh, so I know that you... In a way, I think it seems kind of boring what happened down at the Air Quality Control Commission. You don't realize that that's really going to affect us. But when we start to see the effects, I think you'll start to see people push back. That's why we're we're bringing this up now so that you can know that there's going to be some, well, maybe some intended consequences down the road. Ultimately, they want that mom on a bus or on a train or on a bicycle. Ultimately, they want that blue collar worker out of his truck and uh, working on a uh, on the bus, a train, or a bicycle, it's just not going to work. And we you won't realize that until we we start to see the effects of what's going on. So this is very riveting. What happened this last week? And uh, again, we've got these uh, PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties who think that uh, they know better how you should live your life than you. And uh, actually, in America, that's the great thing about America. The American idea is that you you have the power. Or you should have the um, the choices about your life. So let's uh, let's move over. I've got all kinds of questions for Jason McBride. Jason, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm I'm ready. It sounds like Jeopardy or or uh, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, did you have a nice anniversary this weekend? Yes, I, I did have a great anniversary. Uh, we kept it pretty quiet, but uh, you know, I think I thought of a creative gift that scored me some good points, and my wife was happy, and that's what counts. Well, that's a good thing. So, hey, I want to jump over here. I kind of put the question out earlier in the the show, and that is, is these headlines that are talking about the economy, that the economy is going to be slowing down, we're moving to a recession, the inverted yield curve, but yet, I think I think that there is is a, a movement by the the media and really the you know the far left to try to get this economy slowed down because if they can get the economy slowed down, if people think the economy is is not as good as what they actually are seeing every day, uh, then I th- I think that possibly uh, they're trying to um, thwart the reelection of Donald Trump. What would you say about that? 
I would agree. I think that those kind of headlines probably belong in the wishful thinking section of the newspaper rather than the financial section. But, you know, Kim, if uh, if they keep telling people that they should be miserable and they wake up miserable every day, even though things are, are better and better, uh, in some ways it still works. I mean, you would think you'd have a lot more people that are very, very happy. Uh, we, we don't seem to, but of course, Kim, you know, we're, we're being fed kind of the pictures they want us to see too, and, and we're probably not seeing how good a lot of people in the country actually feel. Uh, I, I would say a lot of them are scared to say so. Look what might happen. Maybe you'll get your name in the newspaper in Seattle. Right. That's right. So uh, so you're pre- are you pretty um still optimistic about the economy? I mean, I know that on a global level, you know, there certainly are some challenges, but if we can take care of things here at home, that seems like that's the first place to start. I don't see any any reason for it to go into a recession certainly. Uh you know, you you always wonder what's the next big fuel on the fire that's going to propel it even more strongly than it is now, uh, you know, Trump might surprise us, but uh, unemployment is very low. Uh, You know, most of the indicators are strong. The GDP is strong. I mean, we may get some, some fluctuations up and down. That's normal in any economy. But I don't see any harbinger of doom out there, and certainly not the inverted yield curve that everybody's screaming about. I'm I'm not looking at that as a predictive signal in this case. Okay, okay. Well, that's good to know. And, you know, the other thing, Jason, um, do we get to start to talk about what we're going to be doing in September, or do I have to wait on that? Oh, sure. Let's, let's, let's launch it. That's okay. Fine. Okay. Uh, September 16th, it is. We're going to be doing uh, Nuts and Bolts. Um, sim- well, well, it's a get-together over at Water's Edge Winery. You know, Jen Hewlin does such a great job over there. And you're bringing in a nationally known guy th- uh, that writes the Stock Almanac, right? Yeah, I think it'll be a real fun event, uh, kind of a, a fun town hall. Uh, Kim, you'll get to ask uh, questions of me and this fine gentleman, Jeffrey Hirsch, who, as you mentioned, authors the Stock Traders Almanac. Uh, You know, he's been on Bloomberg and CNBC and Fox Business and all that, and he's he's really excited that he's about to hit the big time (laughs) and get to come to our event and Talk to talk to your listeners. I think it's going to be a great event. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and heck, you don't you might just learn something too that could be useful to you. Well, and so go to my website, americhicks.com, and you can sign up there, or you can sign up at chickspresidential.com as well. That's chickspresidential.com, and it's going to be a great evening. And uh, so, and and it's I'm pretty sure it's going to sell out. So I would recommend to go ahead and and actually I think you're picking up the tab on everything though. When I say sell out, I think that we're going to be at capacity. So if you want to want to sign up, uh, I recommend to do that sooner versus later. Uh, I thought you were picking up the tab <laughs> on everything. Okay, the event's off. Okay, no, I wanted to get that out there so that everybody understood that I wasn't picking up the tab on that. So, Jason, I'm really excited about it. You have a good day. Uh, looking forward to talking to you tomorrow morning then. 
Have a great show, Kim. Thank you. You bet. Thanks so much. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll, I can't wait to talk with Rob Nielsen. I mean, he is one smart guy, and uh, we'll talk about red flag laws as well as when I ask him about these uh, senators that are threatening the Supreme Court. We'll be right back. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. I am thrilled to have a conversation with Rob Nadelson. You know him. He is with the Independence Institute's Constitutional Study Center. Uh, he's a former constitutional law professor. Uh, he's a nationally known constitutional scholar, author, uh, and many of his uh, uh, thoughts have been cited repeatedly at the U.S. Supreme Court, the Federal Appeals Court, and state Supreme Courts. Rob Nadelson, welcome to the Americhicks. It's thrilling to be back with you. It's always a treat to have you. Uh, and a couple of things. I want to talk about these red flag laws. You have this very important piece uh, that you just recently have written. And uh, before we do that, though, last week I found this astonishing that we had five Democrat senators that basically threatened the Supreme Court that said if they, if they agreed to hear a specific case that uh, these five senators were going to take actions to heal the court and restructure it. What's your thoughts about that, Rob Nadelson? Well, I think that if you or I submitted a brief like that, it probably would be dismissed for impertinence. Uh, it might be disallowed entirely. The fact that there are five U.S. senators who have done it makes probably the court more reluctant to do that. But it, it is an extraordinary document. It's basically a threat, as you say. Um, it, 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 it's a couched in circumlocutions, in other words, circular language, but it's, it's not very couched, it's not very hidden, and and uh, refers, for example, to claims or suggestions that the court be increased in size or packed, um, has uh, very insulting comments about the support campaign that was launched to uh, support the nomination of people like Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch. Uh, it has uh, uh, there's an attack on the Federalist Society, which is a conservative and libertarian group of lawyers, law professors, and law students, the, the largest uh, 
organization of its type in the country next to the bar associations. And I, in fact, I'm a member of it as well, uh, attacks us as essentially a un-American conspiracy. I mean, it just, but you know, it, it given the source, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I've often thought that, um, uh, Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is sort of over the edge. I, I think that I, I really question the guy's judgment at times, and this fits in that pattern. Okay, so is it something we should be concerned about or just keep an eye on it, or what do you think? Well, um, that's, a, that's a tough one. A lot of people are concerned that Justice Roberts and perhaps Justice Kavanaugh, who spent their uh, formative years in D.C., might be affected or are being affected by what other people within the Beltway in Washington, D.C. think about them. There was a perception of a lot of people when Justice Roberts voted to uphold the Obamacare law. Um, my hope is they see through this for what it is and just disregard it. You know, uh, one thing I learned as a kid about bullies is that if you don't stand up to a bully, if you let them Push, push you around. They're just going to make more demands. And I think there's a perception by people like Senator Whitehouse that they managed to bully um, Chief Justice Roberts into upholding Obamacare and doing certain other actions. And so now they've upped the ante and they want to bully him more. Um, I, I think that the justices are smart enough to see that. So I'm not overly concerned. Um, but it does say something about the individuals who submitted this brief. Okay, well said, well said. Let's move over here to this uh, recent piece that you've just done, and that is what history tells us about the purpose of red flag laws. And um, you said under pressure to do something about mass killing, some Republican politicians are following their Democrat counterparts by endorsing red flag laws. Uh, These laws authorize confiscation of firearms if a judge finds the owner poses a risk to himself or others. So walk us through this, uh, Rob Nadelson. Okay. Well, red flag laws, as you say, are um, laws that are designed to take guns out of the hands that pose a danger to themselves or others. Uh, that sounds like a good thing. The problem is that they involve the confiscation of property from people who have never been judged never been judged incompetent, uh, people who have never been convicted of any crime people who are not even accused of a crime. And while that's bad enough, all of the red flag laws that have been passed today, there have been 17 of them. I can't claim to have read all of them, but I've certainly read uh, or, or seen most of them. And uh, from what I understand, all of them contain constitutional defects. Back in 1969, in a case called Snyad Act versus Family Finance, a case, by the way, that was considered a great victory for liberals. The U.S. Supreme Court said that uh, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment requires states to adhere to certain standards if they want to want to seize or freeze property. And one is that normally you have to give notice to the person whose property you're trying to seize and um, give that person an opportunity to be heard. Well, red flag laws generally don't do that. They uh, allow for property to be taken away for, let's say, 14 days, potentially even forever in Oregon, without a hearing at all. Um, once a hearing occurs, 
throughout many of these laws, there are various shortcuts that are that fall below what the courts have required under the Due Process Clause. Now, that's only one constitutional provision, but there's a good argument that the red flag laws also violate the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, um, the Sixth Amendment, <laughs> the Tenth Amendment, as well as the Fourteenth. <laughs> Well, uh, spread, spreading the wealth around the, on that one. You know, the due process was really the thing that I've, I've come down on. And, and, and uh, I remember reading the, I think it was the Broomfield City Council was debating on whether or not they would uh, pass a, a resolution in favor of Colorado's red flag law or not. And I was just astonished as I read this. The deputy police chiefs, they asked him about the danger of police officers going to someone's home to confiscate weapons. Now, again, this person may not even know that, that they're coming, that they've been accused that, that, the, that they're a danger. And so they might not even know that. And there would be danger to police officers if they came and knocked on somebody's door and said, hey, we're taking your firearms. And uh, so one of the city council people asked this uh, deputy police chief, and he said, well, ideally, we'd really like to uh, go and and take the weapons when the person's at work. So let's think about that, Rob. I mean, there is uh, there's no warrant from what I can tell. There's no due process. The person's gone to work. They don't even know that they've been um, accused that they might be a danger. They've gone to work. They come home. And the police officers have been in their house, and they've taken their stuff. I mean, that's really scary. Yeah, it is. And um, actually, there is kind of a warrant. I mean, the order signed by the judge without notice to the owner is is a kind of warrant. Some uh, red flag laws, as you would imagine, are better or worse than others in particular ways. In Connecticut, only the police can initiate this procedure. So if somebody thinks that somebody uh, that an owner of a firearm is a danger to himself or others, uh, that person has to go to the police and the police judge the case first before they take it to court. That's not true under the laws of Colorado, for example, or some other states. Uh, someone who is, you know, a former lover of the uh, of the owner, for example, can initiate this order immediately. And from what I under- understand, uh, in other states that apply these laws. The judges pretty much just go along and, and, and issue the order without much showing because if something does happen right. later, they don't want, want to be accused of not, of not uh, issuing the order. So they're always going to or almost always going to side against uh, the gun owner who, again, isn't even in court to defend himself. Now, uh, a listener may say to himself, you know, why do I care? I mean, guns are dangerous instrumentalities and, uh, and, and I don't own a, own a gun. It really doesn't bother me. Well, do you own a smartphone? Uh, smartphones can be used um, to threaten people. They can be used uh, to spread violence, uh, to spread, spread, uh, spread hatred. Um, in other words, they can be used to avoid to abuse the uh, First Amendment, just like uh, guns can be used in a way that abuses the Second Amendment. Well, suppose a, a, um, a neighbor or a disaffected former lover uh, Go, swears out an affidavit to the to a court claiming that you've been sending hate messages, and the police come to your house when you're there or not there, and they take away your smartphone. You know, they just take it from you, no notice, nothing. 
I mean, that's a very comparable kind of violation. And it's a little easier for people to understand if, if you're, if you're addicted, addicted to smartphones. Okay, we're going to go to break. But when we come back, in this piece that you've recently written, you said something about uh, that that the advertised purpose is not really what is happening there. I'd like you to break sure. that down because that's that's a pretty unique explain. Ex- boy, I'm having a Monday morning here. Explanation <laughs> about red flag laws. So, uh, we're talking with Rob Nadelson. Uh, we'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with Remax Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the ADA Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, August 16th through Thursday, August 22nd, features will include... Angry Birds 2, The Lion King, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Before we get back to Rob Nadelson, first of all, 88 Drive-In Theater, Steve, you and Patty and I and your lovely wife were all out there on Friday night. And that was just really fun. Loved seeing all the young people that Susan has um, is employing and just really enjoyed that. It was a great treat. And the other thing is, is... Um, Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, is going to be under assault. Uh, uh, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties want to get rid of it. And so Natalie, and and uh, it's just basically about good manners. It says, hey, PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you want to, A, raise our taxes, incur debt that we have to pay off, or keep our tax refunds above a very generous formula of population plus inflation, please have the good manners just to ask us. But they don't want to ask us, and that's why we need to push back and make sure we know what we're talking about. So Natalie Minton is having a second training in regards to uh, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. It's Saturday, September 14th. It'll start 10, at 1030 at the Lone Tree Library. And uh, go to coloradoengage.com to get more information. That's coloradoengage.com to get more information. Let's uh, rush back over here to talk to Rob Nadelson about this really important piece that you have uh, about red flag laws. And uh, you'd mentioned that the advertised intent of red flag laws is one thing, but uh, actually, uh, when when we find out what's what the results might be from red flag laws, uh, there's really something else going on, right, Rob? Yeah. I, before answering that, I just wanted to make one point uh, that I think might be important for people to understand. There is now talk about um, 
federal intervention, as if we needed yet another federal program to tell the states what to do. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina has a bill, uh, which I guess is not quite filed yet, that would give grants to states to adopt what he considers the right kind of red flag laws. And I've listened to Senator Graham talk about this. He does seem to understand the due process concerns. One of the problem, how, problems, however, is that when you go in with a bill that has strict due process uh, protections, it's going to be attacked as insufficiently protective of people. It's going to be attacked as making it too hard to take guns away. And uh, experience with the legislative process, and I have quite a bit of it, uh, tells me that what, what's going to happen is the advocates of due process are going to get rolled. That actually happened in Colorado in the last session. A lot of people were concerned about the fact that the original bill had no real provision uh, for a time limit to return people's um, guns once uh, an order had expired, no real provision for the return of uh, concealed carry permits. And so there were negotiations that went on, and the sponsors of the bill said, okay, well, we'll, we'll put those protections in. We'll put in deadlines for the return of guns and the return of concealed carry permits. Well, I happened to be studying the law about two weeks after it was passed, and yeah, they did put something in there, but they left two large loopholes uh, available so that the um, that law so that law enforcement or uh, the person who uh, brought the complaint can ensure that there is no real deadline for the return of concealed carry permits or uh, or, or the firearms. So the legislative process tends to work against those of us who are scrupulous of due process. Um, so there's a, there, there's a real risk in passing, I think, any red flag law for this reason. Now, um, we know that the real purpose of red flag laws is not, as they could say, gun safety, um, because there have been several studies of them, and the bottom line is they're not particularly effective. Uh, there is some evidence that they may reduce suicide a little bit, uh, there's evidence they may increase rapes a little bit. There is one study that says... Be because that why? Increase, because women can't protect themselves? Well, presumably because a would-be rapist can use the procedures to disarm his victim. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the great, great fears with these laws. Um, the, um, uh, the one study says they have no effect on suicides. In fact, they have no effect on crime rate at all, except for the slight increase in rate. rape. So why really are we promoting a law which does not have a proven track record of effectiveness, especially if it involves constitutional rights? And the inescapable answer is it's just another way to attack gun owners. Now, here's, here's the irony here, Kim. They chose the term red flag law, I think, in a historical ignorance. But if you do a little historical research, you find that the term red flag law is not new that for decades the term was proverbial for a law that is supposedly about safety but is really passed to uh, to accomplish other things. Do you want me Interesting. to go into that? Yes, do. Okay. Well, uh, back in the 19th century, there was another dangerous instrumentality, and a lot of people felt threatened by this dangerous instrumentality not because it was dangerous so much, but because it might put them out of business. <laughs> the dangerous instrumentality was called, ta-da, drum roll, 
the automobile. Mm. The automobile, we think of the automobile as an invention of the years just before 1900. But in fact, they were operating automobiles as early as 1803. And by the middle of the 19th century, or by the 1870s, certainly, there were steam-driven automobiles on the roads in Britain and America. Well, that was a very great threat, as you would imagine, to the stagecoach companies, right? Could put them out of business. Mm -hmm. The horse raisers, people who sold horses for a living, uh, mostly farmers, that would put them out of business. The... Um, the, bu the buggy manufacturers, the people who, who made uh, horse-drawn coaches, they were very concerned about that. Um, and so they got together and they convinced the British Parliament and some American states and American cities to pass laws. The most famous laws, um, first most famous of these laws was called the Locomotive Act because they were sometimes referred to as road locomotives, the Road Locomotive Act of 1865. And it imposed a sweeping regime of regulations on, um, uh, on automobiles. For example, no automobile could travel more than two miles an hour in town or more than four miles an hour on the highway. If any, uh, if any person with a horse ordered the... Uh, uh, the um, uh, the, the car to stop. It had to stop. Um, and the most notable requirement was that every car had to have a crew of at least three people, one of whom had to walk 60 yards ahead of the automobile with a red flag ah. to let people know it was coming. And so these laws, uh, which I met, mentioned were passed not just in Britain but in America, were called red flag laws. And they were obviously not passed, for, really, for safety purposes. They were passed uh, to uh, benefit uh, people who felt uh, their, uh, they didn't want to compete with the automobile. So the red flag law term became proverbial for a law that is supposedly, according to its owners, according to its promoters, all about safety, but is really passed for other purposes. So it is really, really ironic and interesting that uh, these, the, the advocates of the red flag laws, who obviously didn't know about anything about history, chose that name for their laws. Wow, this is such an interesting piece. I never realized that, and that's where the red flag law came from, that in essence they say one thing, but the intent is quite another. And so they hide behind, quote-unquote, safety regarding being able to take uh, uh, weapons, um, firearms from people without due process and under the guise of safety. And in essence, the real ultimate goal is to to uh, take the firearms of everyday law-abiding citizens. And you know, it's, it's you astonishing. Know, Kim, there's yeah. a, Go ahead. There's a, there's a coda or an ending to this story. Uh, probably the most outrageous example was a bill that passed the Pennsylvania legislature that provided that any automobile driver who came upon a horse or any other livestock had to get out of the automobile, disassemble the automobile, and hide the parts in the bushes until the horse passed. I mean, uh, the governor vetoed <laughs> that law, but this shows you the lengths of the absurdity. But the fact is these laws actually did slow the progress of the automobile. And so uh, instead of becoming really common, say, in the years around 1880 uh, or 1870, we, we had to wait until the laws were repealed. 
And then finally, uh, with the 1900s, the automobile was allowed to progress again. But it does show you how a nasty law like that can hold up progress. Just like a modern red flag law could take uh, firearms away from the, the away from uh, vulnerable people, you know, people who. Uh, who really need them. Well, that's for sure. Hey, Rob Nadelson, thank you so much. And your book, The Original Constitution, What It Actually Said and Meant, is a great read. Thanks so much and uh, greatly appreciate it. That's Rob Nadelson. Thank you, Kim. Okay, and our quote for today is from Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story. He said, One of the ordinary modes by which tyrants accomplish their purposes without resistance is by disarming the people and making it an offense to keep arms. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, Listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.